Good day to you. My name is James Langridge, and I am the president of the British American Business Council here in Los Angeles. Back again today with another podcast with two wonderful guests. I'm so excited to have both of you on here today. Welcome Katie Haber and Joan Bernie Keatings. And today we're going to be talking about what it took to get an MBE. Welcome, ladies. Hello. Hello. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having me. Glad to have you both on here. Um, Katie, would you just take a second? Please introduce yourself. Let everyone know a little bit about you. My name is Katie Haber. My entire career has been in the film business, um, which started in England in uh, 1965. Yes, I am that old. And I worked in the film business for two years and then, no, for three years, and then came to Los Angeles to continue my career in the film industry. I've also been involved in many charitable organizations, which were basically spin-offs from the film industry. And um, when we get to it, we can talk about the charitable work, which was why I got an MBE in the first place. Wonderful. How about you, Joe? Hey, well, um, I'm currently in Northern Ireland. First of all, so I'm not in sunny Los Angeles where you guys are having lots of beautiful weather. Um, so I've been involved with Cinemagic now for almost 20 years. And for those of you who maybe don't know, Cinemagic is a charity which started in Northern Ireland, really, I guess, in the middle of the Troubles. And it was a way to bring Catholic and Protestant children together with an objective to educate and inspire young people. So I've been involved with the charity for numerous years and over that time we've really developed it both in Northern Ireland, throughout Ireland, the UK and in the last 10 years in LA and New York. So a lot of international expansion and I guess my MB was associated with, the, with charitable work both here in Northern Ireland but also um, on a wider scale as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, thank you for that. And we've got, we've got a lot of questions here. I've got some questions from people to ask you as well. But first of all, MBE. MBE stands for, now forgive me if I'm wrong here, Member of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire. I love that. I think it's amazing. I used to joke around with my friends that my name was James Langridge CDM, which uh, when they would ask me, I would explain that it was for Cadbury Dairy Milk. Uh, it didn't get any laughs then, and it's not about to get any laughs <laughs> now. But I thought I'd put it in there anyway. Katie, coming back to you, you you've had a life in film and a lot of work in philanthropy as well. How did you and Joan first connect? Because I know you know each other very well. Tell us a little bit more about how that all came about. Well, Joan and I got together because I was doing exactly the same work with BAFTA as she was doing with the kids in Ireland. I started at BAFTA LA at the Education and Outreach Program, which was reaching out to inner city kids in Compton and, and Watts just do filmmaking programs with them and also uh, Shakespeare programs with them. And that's how Joan and I connected because we were doing the same work in two different parts of the world. Wonderful. I do you remember it like remember. that, Joan? Well, my version is, yes, very similar. But my backstory was that that was 10 years ago and I'd never been to LA really in a work capacity. And I remember heading over and in like three days, I did 54 meetings and I was trying to figure out how can we make cinematic work in Los Angeles. It was so big. How are we ever going to work in the education system? And I was very kindly introduced to an amazing lady called Sharon Haroon Pierce, who invited me around to her house for a cup of coffee. And when I got there, the fabulous Kitty was there. 
So we got talking and we all had very much a shared interest. And I was thinking, right, listen, I need to get this project pulled together. I know it's a crazy idea and we've got no sponsors and no funders, but I really do believe it's got a big purpose. And I remember sitting with Katie and Sharon and I was like, have you heard of Hamilton High School? Have you heard of some of these other schools? Mm -hmm. And it was really through Katie very kindly and Sharon brainstorming with me and opening ideas for names of schools that we really, really got started. So both Sharon and Katie were very much there at the very start. So I am very thankful to them both. That, that, that's wonderful. Um, you know, we're all here for a reason. So how did you get into philanthropy? I mean, that's, Katie, this is a question for you. We went straight from, you, you're uh, in the movie business, worked on a lot of different movies, some very, very famous ones. We're going to talk about those if you have time. But then all of a sudden, you started to step into philanthropy, and that took up a big part of your life. How did that segue happen? And, and what was it that really propelled you into that? Philanthropy was always part of my life. I remember when I was growing up in England, I used to take my friends to an orphanage in St. John's Wood and do visitations with the kids in the orphanage. And it was an integral part of who I was when I came to Los Angeles to be in the film business. And when, when I came and joined BAFTA, my immediate thoughts were, you know, here we are in BAFTA LA, we're in Los Angeles and we're reaping the benefits of everything that Hollywood can give us. Why don't we outreach to the community that we have here that is less fortunate and do programs with inner city kids that they can benefit from the benefits that we have? So I started a film program in the inner city parks, showing movies to inner city kids in parks around Los Angeles and also started this filmmaking program with a school called Washington Prep. So it's always been in my life, you know, philanthropy. But one of the things that happened to me was I was in a program of filmmakers, and we were doing a homeless project. Long story short, in about two months, I became the executive director of a homeless shelter in downtown Los Angeles. So at the same time as I was in the film business, I was running a homeless shelter. And in this homeless shelter, I started a cricket program. So, was that um, the, uh, was that Dome, sorry to interrupt, was that Dome City, yeah. Katie? Yeah, that was Dome Village. Dome Village, yeah. I brought cricket to the Dome Village, which is a whole other story, as, as you know. Uh, we want to hear more about that in a second. Um, Joan, how did you get into Cinemagic? Um, were you always interested in the movie business? Did you come in at a different angle? Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, just going back to philanthropy, I guess like Katie, from a very young age, I was always involved in charity things. I remember being five years old and my mum was trying to fundraise for a charity project in, in Northern Ireland. And she made me give up my favourite doll to get people to, to guess the name of my doll to raise money. So I think it was always in my blood and in my DNA. But I did a degree at Jordan's at University in Business Studies and a Master's in Public Relations and Advertising. I then went in to work for BBC Northern Ireland for four years, which I really loved. And I worked on a lot of live television and a lot of events and production. And that was brilliant. But I always had a real heart for working with young people and very much in philanthropy and the charity sector. So an opportunity came up for a job in Cinemagic. They were looking for a press and marketing officer at the time. Um, and I applied for the job. And then a year later, became festival director and then chief executive. But I have to say, it's so, so thoroughly rewarding. I could never see myself working in any other sector. And people say, oh, well, the arts is hard. There's always cuts. 
yeah, but that's that's what we sign up for. That's what we do. And you know, if if, if you're prepared to constantly be meeting the challenges and trying to find new ways to be creative, think of the bigger picture, then it's an it's an amazing sector to work in. And there's so many rewards. Like, you no, know, one of my you know most recent stories with LA is we were over doing Cinematic Festival and we'd work with a fantastic group of young people from Watts. And on the very last day, this gorgeous, gorgeous 18-year-old boy came up and he gave me a hug and he said, I've had the best week of my life. It's been amazing working with all these kids from Ireland and getting to go to all of the studios. But most of all, he said, for the first time in my life, I've seen the ocean. That young kid had never been to Santa Monica before and he'd never been to see the ocean. And I remember standing being really overwhelmed by that. Yeah. And one of our board members overheard this and said, you've got to find a way to take these kids from Watts to Belfast because we were shooting a feature film three weeks later. And I remember thinking, we don't even have enough money for the film to get the film finished. How on earth are we going to bring these kids from Watts, mainly majority who didn't have any passports, never been on a plane. But where there's a will, there's a way. And I have an incredible board in, in LA, whom of some, you know, Ellis and O'Connor and Lance O'Connor and Jay Rowe fantastic board and fantastic people like Norman Houston all got behind that vision and three weeks later 12 young people from Watts were flown to Belfast and participated in the making of a feature film so that's just you get to be involved in really magic wee moments like that which are just life changing I I have to jump in here because uh, our paths crossed again Joan when I took my cricket team with gang members from Compton to Northern Ireland to play cricket and that's where I met Jerry Adams and Martin McGuinness. And Martin McGuinness, as you know, you know, we both are very close to him. So, you know, our paths have crossed in Ireland as well. Tell us a little bit when, more about uh, so, when, you met, when you met Martin McGuinness, Katie. Did, did you give him a gift? I, when we met, you know, going back to the cricket team, you were talking about the fact that one of your kids has never seen the ocean. My Compton Cricket Club, who were made up of gang members from Compton, went to England four times. No, the first team that to go to England was a homeless cricket team out of Stone Village. But the Compton Cricket Club went to England in 97, 99, and 2001. And in 99, they not only went to England, but they went to Ireland. And when we went, we went to Ireland and met with Martin McGuinness and Jerry Adams, we gave a hurling stick to, uh, um, I can't remember who was the British um, Prime Minister in Northern Ireland. We gave him a hurling stick and we presented to Martin McGuinness and Jerry Adams a cricket bat, which I thought at the time was the most respectful thing to do, but later found out that Martin McGuinness was a huge cricket fan. And when I look back on it, we always felt that we were part of the Good Friday peace talks with our cricket team. That's fantastic. Um, and obviously he was happy to receive it, I'm guessing. I'm hoping. Yes, you know, who knew at the time? Because I thought that cricket was the symbol of British supremacy in Northern Ireland. But uh, he, he had a secret passion for cricket, which we later found out. Oh, God yeah. rest his soul. That's wonderful. Joan, um, you're, what you work with, I think you have an event where you have 40,000 children. You, you've, you've helped over a million children, young people at this point. What's next for you? Tell us more. Well, Cinemagic just currently celebrated our 30th anniversary and we were really honoured that we had a fantastic royal visit. We had the fabulous Will and Kate, Duke and Duchess of Cambridge came to Cinemagic, which was really, really amazing and a, and a real, um, a real great sense of 
excitement with all of the young people because I spent a full hour meeting all of our young people and people who were involved in our programs. So in many ways, I look back at that and think, yes, you know, it's been 30 years, it's been over a million young people. But in many ways, to be honest, James, I kind of feel it's like we're only getting warmed up. This is only the beginning. So we've already produced two feature films in the last couple of years uh, and two feature documentaries. So we are currently in plans for our next feature film, which I'm very excited about. Um, we do a lot of work, as you know, in L.A. We want to really expand a lot further our outreach activity. So last year we produced a short film on, on mental health issues with young kids from Inglewood and Chinatown. Uh, and they came together and they got involved with the script and producing and shooting the whole movie. And that was a fantastic experience. But it's really given me much more of an appetite to do so many more projects like that. And as I say, we've got involved, we're working very closely with the Boston Public High Schools as well. So for me, it's about trying to find ways to open up Cinemagic, using Cinemagic as a vehicle for bringing young kids from Northern Ireland, the UK, America. Um, we're also doing stuff in, hopefully this year, in Jordan, which is going to be a massive big learning curve, um, especially because they want us to uh, shoot documentary in their language. So that is going to be fun. A translator wow. translating me and trying to put it on screen. So the behind the scenes documentary, that will be good crack. No, I can imagine. That's so, amazing. And Busy. We're, and we're also talking about doing um, a project in India. So 2020, we have 20 short films already lined up for this year. Hopefully, if we all get back to normal, we're going to get them, because we're all sitting ready to go, so hopefully we'll get them all shot by Christmas. No, no that's his hoping. We, we lo we're looking forward to seeing some of that. It sounds amazing. Now, we're all, stuck, we're all in the house at the moment. Our, our lives have changed beyond anything that we could have imagined. Um, we're all used to routines where we eat like our preacher comforts, we're creatures of habits, whatever you want to say. I'm going to ask you first, Katie, and then Joan, how much has this changed your routine and what new routines have you installed just in your daily lives? How are you using technology for work? Are you working? How are you communicating with people? What's the new normal look like I for you? I think that with this webcast, the first thing that we're all very doing is social distancing in, in a transatlantic form, which uh, I'm sure everybody in, in Los Angeles and Ireland will appreciate. Uh, it's changed radically. Um, I'm, I'm staying at home. I, I had some major surgery a few years ago that uh, puts me in the most compromised category. But uh, I'm trying as best as I can to communicate with people by voice. The most important thing is, you know, to keep up communication and we call each other daily. Um, but I'm definitely continuing to develop projects that I want to make into films. You know, they're all on at a standstill, but people are still talking about them and communicating. So I'm just praying and there's this thing that will be over soon so I can get back into work that I've been doing yet. You know, I'm developing a, a mini-series about my family in the Holocaust, which, uh, James, you know, which I sent to you. And um, I'm hoping to get that made, but who, who knows when. And I have another project, which is a, a Western that I already have a director attached and a star attached. But uh, that is also on hold. But one has to keep up the hope that something is going to turn around soon. But uh, it's not, a, not an easy situation that we're all in right now. And uh, one has to keep hope and with hope comes working on projects that were, are in development got it thank you very much katie how about you joan what's your daily life look like now compared to how it was well 
I'll start with the positive. So I have to say, I'm actually really enjoying it. Good. Because I travel so much, it's been lovely just to, to actually really slow down and you know, wake up in the morning and actually really appreciate hearing the birds sing rather than just chasing life and being so busy. Now, the first couple of weeks, James, were definitely very scary and so unsettling because we had booked flights for 33 young people to fly to LA in June for oh, our gosh. festival. We had also a whole production set up to shoot a film. Um, so it was just very quickly, how do we settle this and what do we do? We also had a big festival plan to happen in Dublin this month. Um, so I guess, and as you understand, a lot of these projects are all based, with all our funding's tied in. So it was very much trying to see what flexibility we had with funders, both in the private and public sector, and how much grace they were able to give us. So I guess it was working all of that out. We were able to put a lot of our films and a lot of content up online, which has been brilliant and has been really well received by teachers and by young people. And we've been able to reschedule everything so far. So that has been, so once that was all sorted out, that's kind of taken the pressure off a little bit. That's sort of like now. But I've actually really enjoyed being at home, spending more time with the children, just slowing down. And, and I think in a way we're all starting to get to really appreciate more the lives that we have, the world that we have, and just being so much more grateful and aware of our health. I know we always say your health's your blessing, but it's only now I think we really, really do appreciate that. So um, in many ways, I just keep thinking, I know this is going to end soon. We're all going to be back in that fast, crazy world really soon. So to be honest, I'm just enjoying this time, if I, I'm allowed to say no, that. I, I, <laughs> I, I, no, I'm inclined to agree with you. I saw this great, I read this quote the other day, you know, it was a little story or whatever it was, and it was, Kids 10 years from now, kids 10-year-olds or, or six-year-old kids, and they're now in college and they're, they're asking the parents what it was like during COVID-19 and 2020 and all the parents are saying, oh, lots of people died and unfortunately and people lost their jobs and it was a worldwide recession. And then they're asking the child what their memory was 10 years later. And it was, well, I got to have the best time ever. I was with my parents for a, a ton of time and we all stayed and did stuff at home and it was great. Yeah. So there are two different outlooks to it. There is obviously Absolutely. the economic impact, which is pretty severe. And we've got to figure out how to navigate through that, which I know we will. Um, and then also on the personal side, it is a, it's a wonderful time for some reflection and looking inwards to see what can I do with myself to become a better person? I, I really, truly believe that. No, I, I totally agree, James. And there's so much like, there's just so much sadness every time you watch the news. And, you know, we all know people who've been affected by it and people that, you know, like last week I knew three people who, who had died. And it's just the sadness and the, the extremeness of what is going on. It, it's just so heavy. So I think it's, it's just trying to be able, to, I think we're all just understanding, having much more empathy. And, but again, with that comes so much more appreciation for life. And as you say, just really looking at ourselves and, and figuring out, you know, what is our purpose in life? You know, what, what do we really need to be doing and spending our time doing? And I guess, you know, every family has been hit with it financially with so many people losing their jobs. And so between that and, and with illness, there's not a household from here all around the world that is not going to be affected by what is happening at the moment. But it is, it's trying to look at what positives and good things may, may come from this. Mm. Well, no, Can I you. say one thing of jealousy, Joan? Um, my problem is, it's not a problem, is I had such a successful life and a successful career in every part of my life. But the one thing I forgot to do was to get married and have children. And so my children are my extended family. 
and my extended family are my cricket team and my students in at Washington Prep. But they're my extended family. So I'm alone in this time. So I'm jealous of the fact that you have your children and your husband around you in this time. Aww. So I'm not asking for sympathy. I'm just telling you how blessed you are to be in these circumstances with your family around you. My family are spread out all over the place, and I rely on the kindness of their telephone calls to make sure that they're okay. What a lovely thing to say. What a lovely... And do you know what, Katie? Maybe that's our job after this is all over, to find you a lovely husband. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. No, a a husband would be an impediment. Children would be wonderful, you know, but... And one of the best things is that I don't have someone in my apartment that's constantly nagging me, but I would love to have children, but too late for that. Again, I can relish in your happiness. Well, I started this quarantine with long hair, and on the first weekend, the kids cut my hair, literally for the crack with a bowl and a pair of scissors. So I'm glad it needs what? to grow, 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 good, grow back but, but, but what this- <laughs> Let's see if we can bring a ray of light here. Um, everyone, we often hear the saying, the children are the future. Um, and Joan, you work with children. Katie, you've worked with children as well. How important is film, the entertainment industry? How important are children to that industry? Is it something, what is the biggest thing, the biggest connection there? Why is it so important to get children into film and, and entertainment? I just think, well, for so many reasons, James, to build their confidence, to share their stories, to give them a platform to feel safe and to speak out. Um, you know, there's so many reasons why it's so brilliant for children to be involved with the film. And I say, not every child is academic. So if you're not the most academic child in the class, it's so easy to, to feel disengaged, to, to slip back and to feel that your voice is not important. So I think with film, everyone can say what they think, everyone can laugh at different things. So it's a great way to build young people's confidence and self-belief in themselves. I just think at the minute, there's so much around the world on, on mental health. And I have no idea what's going to come out at the end of this, even though the situation is going to have got so much worse. But to be able to give young people a platform where they feel safe and where they, they feel they can speak out and, and, and help each other. Um, because I think it's so easy to feel alone and to feel, you know, different from other people where I think when you're involved with film and like-minded people and creative people, it's just a completely different energy and a great way to engage and to learn. Do you think, um, I'm going to come back to you in a second, Katie, but do you think that's what people long for is a sense of belonging? I mean, in, in LA, a lonely place, but it's a sense of belonging or a connection to something. So if they're feeling, if they're struggling academically, this is mm-hmm. an option for them. I, I love that. I love that. Absolutely, James. You know yourself, it's been around like-minded people who share your vision and you could come in with a great idea and somebody could go, that's ridiculous. But if someone goes, that's really funny or that's good, suddenly how you feel about yourself completely changes. And I just think film gives, gives that up platform for young people from all types of backgrounds, all types of abilities, come together and just have fun together. It's a different outlet. And you, I'm an only child and I grew up in Armagh. Um, and if I'd have said I wanted to be a producer, well, first of all, I wouldn't have known what a producer was, to be honest. But if I had said I wanted to be an actress, people would have laughed. And if I had said I wanted to be a producer or a director, it just wouldn't have been a thing. Whereas now, all young kids, our Savannah from when she was five years of age was able to tell me everything I needed to know about how to shoot a drone. I didn't even know how to switch a drone on. But I just think it's really exciting for young people now. The fact they can do so much, I think technology is incredible. But I just think it's, it's just an amazing outlet 
for young people to engage and, and to learn and especially to feel like they're part of a community and to feel inspired. And I think we all need to know, feel we have a purpose in life and we all need to feel inspired. I love that. Katie, do you agree? I agree totally, but the film in itself is a form of communication. Without films, you know, we don't know how other people live. We don't know how other communities survive under various circumstances. Film is the greatest communicator. And if they can become involved in the actual making of films, they can communicate their, their experiences, their lives, from a point of view that they never thought they could ever do. Because most of the kids that we're working with are inner city kids who have never had you know, the opportunities that we've had. And with these kids, we're giving them tools to open up their world and to communicate their life's experiences. It's the opposite of social distancing. It's social collaborating. Nothing like the entertainment and the film industry gives kids the most opportunities to communicate and to express their feeling. Yeah, can I just say one thing I think is a real positive at the moment, James? I think the way technology is changing, it's amazing that so many industry professionals are opening up their world, opening up their homes and doing these online seminars and and experiences. You know, for example, whenever we take Cinematic Kids to LA, we have amazing people like Fabulous Ross King, as I said, Ellis and and Jay O'Connor, a... Jerry, people who are in the industry who really take time to inspire young people and tell them how they get into the industry and how they made it. But it's great now as well to see everyone's doing it on a daily basis and all those barriers are coming down. Because years ago, you, you would have thought, oh, my parents need to be exceptionally wealthy. I need to live in LA to be in the industry. But now the fact that you can do it at home and you can see how to get in the industry if you've got a good idea, I think that is really, really inspirational. If anyone listening now, what advice, and they're thinking about dipping their toe in the entertainment business or they're, they're concerned about their children wanting to get into it, what advice would you have for them? So um, never take no for an answer. If you've got a gut feeling about yourself and something that you're good at and you've got a belief, you've got to just keep going. And I think that's the one thing that young people really need to learn is resilience and to know when they need to just believe in themselves and, and not to take no personally. Secondly, it's always good to have a second, a, a, B, a plan B. So whilst it, the arts are so fantastic and, and exceptionally rewarding, it's also good to have another job as well to help financially bring in income. But thirdly, you know, just really, really believe in yourself and your own abilities and, and travel. I think traveling is so important and meeting other young people from different communities and really putting yourself out there. I love you. You said about and also training. and also they learn that there's not just being a director or a producer in the film industry. There are multi, multi, multi-faceted jobs that you can have in the film industry. You can be a caterer. You know, without the catering truck, people in the film industry don't get to eat. So it's not just the upper echelon of the production. The jobs that you can get in the film industry, the multi, multi, multi jobs from the ground up so anybody can be a part of a film if they have the capacity to learn. You can be a grip, you can be a cinematographer. It's not just two major roles as jobs. You know, the last film that we shot in LA, we had a fantastic cast and crew. And every day I just could not wait to get on set super early because just being with new people, people who all had great stories, we all had completely different backgrounds. And there's something about that energy that you just cannot capture anywhere else. And I just think that is so, so exciting. 
Well, yeah, people thrive on that. Is that people have an aura? Yeah. Some certain people have auras. I'm I'm a big believer on that. And I agree. Magnetism, and you're drawn to it, and you just need to be around them. You got to absorb it. I I absolutely love it. I, I yeah. love also that you talked about travel. I'm a big believer in travel, especially with children. Travel as much as you can. Travel broadens the mind, and I think yeah. that that's one well, of the best educations you can have is traveling. One hundred percent. But that brings me back to the cricket team. You know. I had inner city kids traveling to England four times and to Australia. What kid from Compton, you know, has the opportunity to go to Australia and play cricket against the Aboriginals and learn and understand that the inner city kids from another country, which are the Aboriginals, you know. So with my cricket team, I was able to expand that vision of the world in a way that nobody could ever have believed. No, that's unbelievable. Katie, you've seen some characters in your time uh, and you've been involved in many movies. Not all of those people came from a, a background of education. What drove them, what do you think? Was it just their passion to be in the movies? Is it something that you see then and you see now with the same drive and passion of children today? What are your thoughts on that? Are you talking about the kids or the, the, the directors I have worked with? Well, uh, you've worked with lots of directors, but a lot of different actors and actresses as well along the way. They've, I guess I really like trying to look for some comparison. They've all come from all different walks of life and different paths. So if, is it really true if you've got the drive and energy and determination, anything is possible? Of course. Every single person we know and meet have, have had different journeys to where they finally ended. My journey started in England. You know, I, I, I never thought that I would be in Los Angeles in the film industry and start a cricket team. And it was only because my parents escaped during the Holocaust, escaped from Czechoslovakia and came to England where, where I went to school and learned how to play cricket. I mean, everybody's journey is totally different. Where we end up and where we come from, you know, and you look back on it and you say, how did I get here? Who was directing my life that I should end up in Los Angeles? after my parents escaped from Czechoslovakia in 1939. And here am I in the, in the film business 75 years later. So everybody's journey is different and everybody comes from a different original source, you know, whether they're academic or they're creative. In the film business, it takes at least 100 or more people to make a film. Everybody's come from a different world and from a different life. That's why making films is such a collective, collaborative endeavor. Very few other jobs that you can do. It's such a collaborative effort. No, I, I, I think we follow you, Katie. It sounds, sounds fairly clear to me. Okay, so we're, we're coming to the end of this. We've got a, a few more minutes. I have a couple of specific questions for both of you. We talked at the beginning. This is the MBE episode. MBE, member of the most excellent order of the British <laughs> Empire. I love it. I think but it's for me, it stands for most broke English woman. Katie, who are you trying to kid? You're, you're <laughs> the most fabulous person ever. You're fine. But tell us a little bit more. What the experience, how did you find out you got it? The, the journey to go and get it, the experience of getting it. If I could give you a couple of minutes each just to tell the listeners today yeah. a little bit more about the experience. I, I want to hear all about it. Uh, whoever would like to go first. Joan, why don't you go first? Okay. Well, I was actually in LA when I found out because Cinemagic had just won the Innovation Award at Britwick. So we were celebrating that and I phoned him and my husband had said, there's a very important letter has arrived for you. 
Um, so I said, we'll open the letter and to see what it is. And he started to read the letter out. And I kept going, this is a wind up. You have to be joking. This is not serious. So I said, screenshot the photo of the letter and send it to me because I really don't believe this is true. Anyhow, he sent me the letter. And I remember just being on 3rd Street, Santa Monica, and screaming and screaming. But of course, I couldn't tell anybody. And the adrenaline that was running through my body, and I couldn't believe it. And I kept looking at the email going, is this for real? Is this for real? Um, then we had to keep it quiet for so many weeks. Then I had arranged to have a party in the house, but I hadn't said to anybody why I was having a party. And then that morning, we'd been interviewed by um, BBC for the announcement. So by the time everyone came here that evening, they knew that there'd been an announcement. But I could tell you the excitement within Cinemagic, within the staff, was such a ripple effect. It really, really was fantastic. But we went, whenever we went over to London, so it was the Queen that um, very kindly gave me mine. And I brought with me my husband, uh, my mother and father, and our two little girls. And I remember going in and thinking, I just would love to do something really bold. Everything, Everybody was being so polite and so proper, and as they should be. But I kept thinking, you know, I was waiting for nearly Ant and Deck to jump out. Still at this stage, still thinking this, this could still be a wind up at any stage. Yeah, but I remember being, but remember going in and being told, you know, this is the procedure whenever you go in. Everything was so still and so quiet. And my dad, a bit like myself, likes to talk. And he was sitting up at the very front of the room. As I walked in, all I could hear him saying really loudly across everybody, this is our kid, this is our kid now. And that stage, everybody looked around and everyone started to laugh. And I got really nervous and started to laugh. But it was a really proud moment to have you know, both my parents there. And then afterwards, we had a reception in the House of Lords, which was lovely. And then we all went for dinner. But we literally, I think I celebrated for about a year. But it was fantastic. And, you know, our, our two little girls were there. And the wee one, she was in her nappy. I would say she was crawling around Buckingham Palace in her nappy. But anytime we would see anything about the royal family on TV or in school, our kids will always say, we, 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 we were in the Queen's house. Teacher will go, really? Really? What are you talking about? So I guess they are telling the truth, but they like to play it It's up a great bit. story. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the truth. It's the truth. I love that. Wonderful. Oh, what, what an honour. But it was an honour for me that my mum and dad were able to come. That, that just meant, especially as I'd been an only child, it was just fantastic to have them there. Oh, absolutely. And, and how incredible is the Queen that she meets all these people, shakes all of her hands and is able yep. to have a fantastic conversation, really enthusiastic. Like, she asked me loads about my career and about Cinemagic and knew everything. I just thought, you are really, really most gracious and incredibly and, and smart and talented right. woman. I, think she's, I agree. I think she's a wonderful woman. And happy birthday, yeah. Your Majesty. Yes, yes. happy birthday. Wonderful. Katie. Okay. And, and congratulations, I'm, I'm reading, Joan, I'm re first of all. Thank Sorry. you, thank you. Uh, congratulations. And I know your work is not done with Cinemagic. Like you said, I love that saying. I use it a lot. We're just getting started here. Yeah. And I honestly am so excited to see what comes down the road. And we're going to collaborate with the British American Business Council and Cinemagic. Whatever we can do to assist you and help you here oh. in Los Angeles, count us in. And we're oh. excited to see what lies ahead. Thank you. Thank you so help. much. I really, really appreciate it. And I said, Cinemagic would not, be, would not be where it is, James, without the support of so many kind people like yourselves and people that I've met on my journey. So that's what makes Cinemagic. And just, just to finish out one last thing you were asking earlier on about young people. Kevin Uvian from CAA said an amazing thing to Cinemagic young people months ago and he said if I could give you any advice it would be be brave sooner so that's my advice I'd like to pass on it didn't come from me it came from him <laughs> I love that be brave sooner Excellent. be brave sooner Katie 
Tell us everything. Okay. January the 4th, 2012, I got a letter from Sir Nigel Scheinwald, Catherine Haber, MBE. Dear Miss Haber, as she wrote Mr. Haber, that's interesting. Um, anyway, uh, I wish to offer my warmest congratulations on your being appointed by Her Majesty the Queen, a member of the most excellent order of the British Empire, MBE, for services to the community in Los Angeles. My colleagues will be in touch with you on vestiture ceremony. Dates will be published shortly for the presentations. But if you're unable to travel to the UK, then we would be most delighted to hold a ceremony for you and your guests here at the residence in Washington. Once again, many congratulations on the well-deserved honor. Best wishes, yours sincerely, Nigel Scheinwald. Well, that was the first I heard of it, and I was totally blown away. And uh, what I found out afterwards is that when you get an MBE or a CBE or an OBE, it is the very extensive work of people that you know that spend months and months and months getting letters of support and proposing you, and they're, they're not allowed to talk to you and not allowed to even uh, communicate with you whatsoever. It's a group of people who put together letters of recommendation and the proposal, and that's how you get your MBE if it's accepted by the ambassador in Washington. So I'm grateful to a whole group of friends uh, who, who put forward my proposal to get an MBE, which I accepted very graciously from Princess Anne at Buckingham Palace because it was the Queen's Jubilee year and she was not doing any presentations that year. And so I got it from Princess Anne. And the first thing she said to me when I walked up to her, because you're told how to walk up and then you, you have to back up because you're not allowed to turn your back on, on the royals. And uh, the first thing she said to me was, why cricket? <laughs> and, the, and, the, and that's and how the conversation say? started. And, and, and what did you say to that? And I told her of the benefits of cricket which is a gentlemanly sport and a sport that gives you, you know, better comport yourself on the field. So I, t I told her about that, that cricket was a very gentlemanly sport and was the best sport to teach a bunch of kids from the other side of town. Well, I, I love that. I know there's more to that as well, Katie. I mean, your work with the Cricket from Compton gentlemen is an unbelievable story. Unfortunately, we don't have enough time to go into all of it today. But what you did there, and changed so many. What was the gentleman's name? The main gentleman. It was Ted, wasn't it? Ted Hayes. Ted Hayes and I took the Compton Cricket Club to England four times, and then to Australia. And um, it was a life-changing experience for them because these are kids that didn't have passports, had never had never even been to the other side of town without right. you know. And when we did our cricket practices, I used to have to come and pick them up and take them to the cricket field because they were crossing enemy lines, you know. It's unbelievable. And, and, and it gave them a worldview, and not only that, they traveled around the world. And they've now grown up, and they're, they are my extended family, and they have their own families, and they're respectable members of the community with jobs. You know, we lost two or three to uh, drive-by shootings and stuff like that, but uh, we, we saved a lot of lives through cricket, and it's something that I'd be proud of for the rest of my life. But um, I did do a cricket TED Talk. The TED Talk is Cricket Out of Compton TEDx, if anybody wants to have a look at it. I, I've listened to that. Cricket Out of Compton, um, it is on the TEDx. You can look it up on the app, which you can download to your phone. It is a fantastic 
interesting listen. I recommend anyone to tune into it. Here's what I'm getting from both of you collectively. Well, first of all, congratulations both on your MBEs. Outstanding. Thank you. Um, you have given a sense of hope to literally thousands of people who would never have had some of the opportunities that they have now in front of them. And it's because of your efforts. So I want to thank you from everybody. That is just incredible. Thank you so much for all your yeah. efforts and hard work. It's unbelievable. Thank you. Thank you. The pleasure one gets out of it is worth more than anything. Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a definitely a gift. So we are, we are at the end, but I have one question left for both of you. Uh, in a couple of sentences, we're all getting, we're, our lives are completely changed. We're going to come out of this and I'd like to think we'll all get something good out of it. What do you think you will get out of this? And what sense of hope can you give people listening now from what's going to happen between now and, and the new normal? Joan. Speaking from my perspective, from a lot of people that I have been chatting to and my friends, I think everyone has found a new kind of inner peace with themselves. They have a time to reflect um, and time to really assess what is important and what's not important. And I think it gives someone to decide the whole world's going to come to a standstill. And maybe this is God's way of showing us this is what we needed to do to really reassess and look at ourselves. And I think, in all honesty, apart from the huge tragedies and the sadness that's happened, and you, that is going to take years and years and years of pain for people to heal from, I also think there's going to be enormous positivity. And I, and I hope that we're all going to be changed for the better for this and I hope that we all have much much more gratitude and um, so much more um, what's the word I say humbleness um, what was the word uh, humility humil humil yeah, there you go that's the word. humility that's what I want um, and appreciation for what we have and Maybe. I think that's the most important thing lovely how about you Katie and above all to respect the relationships that we have with people and to respect them and love the people that we know and, and work with and to always understand the importance of the people around us and the love of our family and our relationships and never give up on the hope. And uh, that's all we can do because this is a worldwide situation. It's not just the Los Angeles community or the, or the Belfast community. It's happening to everybody. And we need to understand and come to terms with the fact that nothing is more important than the, the love that we have for the people around us. And I also say, when you see some of the stuff on television, like the, the kindness and the love and the community spirit you see from people, I think it's really emotional to watch on television, but also just incredibly beautiful. I just think everyone is very giving and um, you see people pulling together in a way that we've never seen before. I, because I, we're all we're yeah. all experiencing this together. Yes, you know it's not you know we it's the word that comes out to mind is togetherness, mm. togetherness, respect and love the togetherness we have with the world at the moment. Well, we're humans. Human beings want to be connected. We like we need that connection. We thrive off of physical connection, and so we can't have that right now. So we're looking at other ways of how can we stay connected using technology, Zoom, phone calls looking at our families that we were in. So it's just... Uh, and don't, don't forget the animals. They have the same feelings as we do. They do. They, I'm taking my dog on about 100 walks a day. Every time I get the leash out, he looks at me like, we're going again? You've got to be kidding me. But it's just, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great experience. So. 
Thank you so much, both of you, Joan and Katie. We, we've been absolutely delighted to have you on today. Um, you have been listening to another podcast from the British American Business Council, Los Angeles. Tune in again soon uh, for another wonderful podcast. Thank you.